Man, I'm not sure if it's a good sign that you get triple prayed for. Got prayed for by Holly, by Helen a few moments ago. They prayed for me before I started as well, the service. Anyway, um, we're going to get underway uh, straight away with a little bit of, uh, of a quiz. They're going to have some four photos that are going to go up now, I hope. There we go. I want you to name those TV shows. Who wants to name the top left one? Sherlock, brilliant. Yes, who wants to name the uh, top right one? Pardon? I, Happy Valley, yes, yeah. Uh, the, the thing I love about that show is I, don't, I think I would fall off my seat if you actually saw somebody happy in that show. It's called Happy Valley, but yeah, the, 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 far from anybody happy in it. Okay, uh, bottom left, what TV show is that? Could be a lot. What did we say? Luther, well done, yes it is. I did have a red tie on, but it could have given it away, but it, it, it cut it out. And what, what about bottom right? This is a TV show I used to love watching as I was growing up. Sorry, young ones here, you might not recognize who this is. Columbo, yeah. He was a, came across as a really bumbling detective and he used to go in and he used to go out to smoke his cigar and he used to ask these people really stupid questions and they used to just put him off as like an absolute idiot. But then he would always solve the murder in the end because he would, people would underestimate him and he'd catch people out by asking stupid questions that would lead him to the truth. Anyway, brilliant show. All these things, what do all these shows have in common? They're all, a lot of them, around detectives and murders. People dying, yes, and people solving them, murders. Uh, shows that are about murder are the most popular sort of genre of TV shows. More shows are made about murders and solving them than any other type of uh, fictional TV show. Isn't that interesting? They are really well loved, and that's, I think, because we all have an inner sense of justice in us. You know, some of those TV shows, you know, what's right and what's wrong gets quite blurred, but in the end of it, if somebody gets murdered, we want them to get caught and to face justice. And I think that's why people love watching them. Matters of life and death. But what about, as what happens in a lot of these shows, if you ever get wrongly accused of murder? How would you feel? In the news this week, we have the next slide, please. There was this guy. He didn't get quite get accused of murder, but close. He was accused of seriously assaulting a woman in 2003 and attempting to murder her. And he got out of prison in 2020 after being convicted of it. He could have got out much sooner had he gone into therapy classes and rehabilitation classes, but he wasn't permitted to go into those to be released earlier because throughout this whole ordeal, he maintained that he was not guilty and innocent of it. If you read some of, the, some of the background of this case, it does strike you as absolutely amazing as how he was sent to prison for 17 years. He was let out in 2022 and still was still fighting to clear his name. And this week, he was finally cleared of this after they re-examined his case, found new DNA evidence to prove that he was not 
guilty of this crime. 17 years of his life in prison for something he didn't do. I mean, I don't know how you would feel about that. He's obviously got some anger and frustration, mainly towards the police rather than anybody else and the justice system. But can you imagine that guilt and how would you react to that? Maybe the anger that could build up inside you. In fact, I'm sure a few of you can imagine times in your life where you've been accused of doing something that you don't think is right. I got wrongly accused of something the other day, although I quite liked it. Jen, who works in the office, um, texted me saying, ha ha, very funny, because she went out to her car and somebody had put all the windscreen wipers up on it. It's a sort of thing that I might do, but it wasn't actually me. She wrongly accused me, but I found it quite amusing. But we can all think of times, I'm sure, when you've been wrongly accused or things have been said to you that have upset you. I want to ask you this next question as well. And I want you to be honest about this. Have you ever falsely accused somebody else? Have you ever said and accused somebody of doing something that they haven't actually done? I have. Let's lower the bar a bit. Has anybody here, maybe you th uh, thought this about me or maybe you said it to my face after I said a, one of my hilarious jokes, you've not thought it's hilarious, you thought you're stupid, Richard, or you're an idiot. Have you ever said or thought that to anybody in your entire life, even if it's not me? Put your hand up if you've ever done that. You call somebody stupid or an idiot? Okay. Well, if you've done that and put your hand up, I'm now going to accuse you of being a murderer. You are murderers. Hands up if you think I've overreacted and falsely accused you of something that you're not. Okay. Keep that thought in mind. Can I have the reading on the screen, please? This is, um, we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' teaching. It's about upside values of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to be using um, the, uh, the message translation because it really emphasizes, it doesn't, uh, it is this strong in the uh, NIV, which is probably what the church Bibles and stuff look at. Jesus is using the same word. I'm just going to read this out to you, and then I'm going to ask you again if you think I was overreacting for calling you murderers if you'd called somebody an idiot. Here we go. This is Jesus speaking, okay? You're familiar with the command of the ancients. That's from the Old Testament. Do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you might just find yourself hauled into court, thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is, words kill. They are pretty blunt words of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount. In the NIV, it talks about if you murder somebody, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone raka, which is an, like an Aramaic equivalent of idiot or stupid, 
you will also be called to judgment. In that court language, Jesus is equating the words that we say to other people as equivalent to murder. So I accept your apology for saying that I overreacted earlier. Can we have the next slide, please? We saw it in there, at the end of that passage. Words can kill. Words can kill. I wonder who growing up ever heard or was taught this wonderful phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what a load of rubbish. <laughs> That statement is, sticks and stones can hurt you. I'm assuming that means they throw you or hit you with them. But words really, really can hurt, can't they? Harsh words can have the power to destroy somebody's confidence or, or self-belief, what they think about themselves, the way they think, the way they can act. Many of us here can probably remember harsh or angry words that people have spoken over us or said to us in our lives. Maybe even people we care about have said in times of weakness words that have really cut and hurt us. I can remember some words. I think I've shared them with you before. This is how much they impact me because I remember them or impacted me in, in my past. A school report I got from a teacher that I thought liked me that basically said in the report, Richard is a lazy boy who needs to be pushed to every work, any work. That was when I was nine years old. I remember getting that. And it shaped how people saw me, including my parents, for a while. I thought it was unfair and unjust at the time. And I've never, ever forgotten it. Other words as well, I'm sure you all have your own words that can really, really cut. And I think this is why Jesus likens words, angry words, spoken in anger to other people as like murder. Because you are killing the person that God made them to be. You are marring and marking and scarring and hurting them and stopping them from being what they were created or made to be through your words. You can murder the person that God called them to be. The New Testament talks about the power of the tongue a lot and how powerful the words that come out of our mouth can be. James, the uh, uh, brother of Jesus, says this in the book of James, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among all parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person and can set the course of his life on fire. It's not saying it has to do that, but it's saying that's what the tongue has the power to do. And I think we can recognize the tongue's power. And Jesus' call for us in this warning, in this first part of this verse, is to be really, really, pardon me, really, really careful 
with our words. Jesus is making it clear that we need to speak to other people out of love and out of respect, not out of anger and trying to tear people down. We know through Jesus' life that Jesus was able to disagree with people. But when he disagreed with people, I think he did it with the goal of building the other people up, of turning them and helping them to see the truth and the world differently. Often when we speak hurtful words, we are not trying to do that. When we are full of anger, we can use our words just to tear people down. And because if we're honest, we want to hurt other people. Maybe we want them to make them feel like we're feeling in that moment or whatever it is. But Jesus is clear what he thinks about that kind of behavior. He calls it equivalent to murder. He wants us to be different. So what do we do when we mess up? Because we all admitted to messing up at the start, so we all should think about, well, what do we do when we mess up, when we make mistakes, when we call somebody an idiot or stupid out of anger or perhaps worse? Well, let's look at the next set of verses. It says this, this is how I want you to conduct yourself in these matters. If you enter a place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you. Abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then come back and work things out with God. That's really practical, isn't it? That's really Jesus emphasizing the importance of, of having restored and right relationships. Jesus wants us to take this seriously. He's saying that actually to him, it's really, really important how you treat other people. And if you have wronged somebody, he wants you to go and be at peace with that person first before you come and worship him. Not because that person is more important than God, but because God loves that person. But because God loves that person. It's this general, this, this general principle that we see in Scripture time and time again that Jesus talks about in our relationships and with people we know that we are not to let anger fester, but we're to be people that try and live at peace with people around us. Those of you that um, come to communion services here or have ever been to a communion service that's slightly more traditional, we don't always do it at the six. But in the Anglican um, sort of tradition of doing communion services, before you came forward and received the bread and the wine, we, did, we do this thing called the peace. Now, if you don't know what the peace is, the vicar normally says some words at the front and then says, the peace of the Lord be with you. And everybody says, and also with you. And then the leader will say, now share the peace with one another. And in the, you know, old school used to turn and used to shake the person next to you, peace be with you, peace be with you. But the whole idea of that was actually based around this. When churches were communities that sort of lived together, the 
the reason they did this before, just before communion was to take these words seriously. So if there had been a falling out in the community, this would give an opportunity for people to make peace with one another before they came and drunk the bread and the wine around communion together. This, I think, is the, is the heart of Jesus. Jesus wants us to be people that are in relationship and good relationship with one another. And if we are the cause of it, Jesus wants us to be people that have the courage to step out, go and make peace, perhaps to acknowledge our mistakes and say sorry. Most of us do not like saying sorry to other people. It can make us quite vulnerable. But God calls us to be people that go and make peace and that it is really important. There's this wonderful verse that Paul writes as well in Romans 8 that says this, As far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with people. I think this is Paul taking this teaching of Jesus that he did on this Sermon on the Mount and just explaining it. Sometimes it's not always possible. You know, making peace with somebody it doesn't just count on you. It does count on the other person as well. But God, Jesus' words to us are that we need to do all that we can to be at peace with others, to not hold anger in our hearts, to not speak to people harshly, to remember to hold our tongue perhaps when we're filled with anger, to take a breath, to see how God sees that person. And isn't that how God treats us as well? We're told in Scripture time and time again that God come, came to us even when we were hostile to him. God loved us and went about making peace with humankind even when they rejected him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He went and Jesus modeled this idea of taking the first step in peace. It was costly for him. It cost him his life. But because he did it, God the Father raised him up and his name is above every other name. And Jesus did that for you. That's what Jesus God has modeled for us to be these people that step out in peace and love, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. And I think as if we are people that take Jesus seriously, as I hope we do, or we want to live more like him, we need to be people that take what Jesus says about our words seriously. To live it out, and actually as we do that, we model who God is. Somebody that is endlessly patient, and peaceful and forgiving to us. And as we are a little bit like that with others, I think it opens up the door for God to come in and be at work in their lives and more in your lives. And I think this teaching about words as well that I haven't necessarily made clear, I missed a bullet point off there, but I meant to say this much earlier. It's not just spoken words. It's also words that we 
type or dictate or voice message in other people as well. Written words, if they're written, whoever they're written by, but if they're written by somebody that you know to other people can still really hurt people. The words that I remembered that I shared earlier were not words that were spoken to me verbally. They were words that were written down on a bit of paper. I was given this ad advice a long time ago, and I think it's really, really good advice, and I, that's why I still remember it today. You know, I was a teenager, so that is a quite a long way ago now. Never write anything down or text anything or put anything on social media about anybody that you wouldn't feel comfortable looking them in the eye and saying. I think that's really, really good advice. And I'd also want to go one step further, looking them in the eye with love <laughs> and saying, because sometimes we can look people in the eye with anger and hatred, sadly. Our world at the moment, I think, has forgotten how to disagree well. Jesus doesn't ask us to agree with everybody. But when we disagree, he asks us to do it with love and respect, to not tear down people, call them idiots or stupid or whatever, just because they don't believe or agree with your point of view. Wouldn't it be great if we can model a different way of still respecting, of still loving, of still being generous and being able to live at peace with people that are different from us, not cancelling them or not wanting to have anything to do with them just because you disagree with them on point X or point Y. God is somebody that reached out and has open arms. And our call is to be a people that reach out and have open arms as long as it lies with you. So ask for God's strength and let's do our best to not be so quick with our mouths this week. Amen.